December 21, 2020. It's a lot for Pedro's show.
The thing for me has been getting into homesteading, getting a garden going with my fiancé. I always felt like, why would you plant a fruit tree? It takes seven years to grow, so why would you do it? But now I've got the time and the place. Therapeutic resolution in the scenario, immersing yourself in something physical in the outside world. And the garden is a metaphor. You're cultivating the ground and the relationship. I read about how political tensions and maybe even more people having to face pretty rough economic situations has led to a lot of marriages busting up. But for me, it's been the opposite. Love in the time of COVID. With the pandemic and being unemployed, I had time to take a trip and propose. Well, I'm from Pedro Show. Happy Monday. I'm a 63-year-old now, as of yesterday. Oh, I had to do happy something. birthday. Wow, you can hear people that I'm not man alone, even though Brother Matt's still at Pleasure Point a couple miles south because of quitting quarantino mode. But through the magic of Skype and those Estonian software engineers, I got David Greenberger. Wait, wait, Hello. Wait, wait, Hello talking? from the from from the snowy northeast. Yeah, so. yeah. What what town in Connecticut, right? No, no. It's it's just that the name looks like that because there's one of them in Connecticut. It's, it's spelled exactly like Greenwich, Connecticut, but it's Greenwich, New York, okay. pronounced Greenwich. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's north of Troy. Uh, it's if you drew a line between New York City and Montreal, it would be halfway between the two. So it's along the Vermont border, just above the top of Massachusetts. The top, so kind of floating near, in the air. <laughs> uh, near, also near Saratoga mean, Springs. I don't know, you might have... You, you probably uh, mean north. But it, uh, they, say yeah, that north. Here, they say that here in Pedro, too. You know, above Gaffey. Well, it's floating in the air. No, they mean up the hill, you know. But Exactly, yeah. Sometimes I'm, I'm too literal, right? I'm too literal. I'm too literal. Well, that's good. Otherwise, we're lost. <laughs> Should tell the people what we heard, okay? We have John Coltrane with Miles Davis doing Blue and Green, and then David Greenberger yourself and Tyson Rogers with Fruit Tree. Now, David, can you give me your earliest musical recollection, please? Uh, that would probably be Danny Kay. Um, my parents had Danny Kay records and I was quite taken with them. Uh, I got a lovely bunch of coconuts and, uh, they had some other 45s. And then a record came out, I believe maybe in 1958 or so when I was four called mommy, can I have a drink of water? Which is a, it's a great album. I, it, it still is a fantastic album. It's a concept album, uh, that has Danny Kay singing all these songs from the perspective of being a kid. And I knew those songs inside and out. Um, I'm five. I'm five. My feet can reach the floor. You know, the um, every song on there, I, I I got to know, and that's probably my earliest memory is the the Danny Kay stuff. Now, uh, and where was this? This was in uh, Erie, Pennsylvania. Okay, so uh, yeah, who's from there? I think Trent, uh, the Nine Inch Nail guy. Or, He's or, from or, Erie? Well, wow. near there, or maybe. Yeah, Mr. Tom yeah. from Tobacco was telling me. About, about yeah, I, I was I was born in Chicago, then we moved to Erie when I was about two. So. Okay. Now, in the pad, was there musical instruments? 
there was a piano. My mother was a, it, 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 who's still around. She'll be 89 in a, in a week. Um, was a pianist and um, she was an accompanist for different, um, uh, you know, little small theater things in Erie. And um, later on, when I was a little bit older, she started teaching piano and did that until a, a few years ago. So there was a, a Steinway intermediate grand. It wasn't the baby grand. It wasn't the, the concert grand. So there was this big uh, with the Louis the Fourteenth uh, carved legs and everything on it. So additional very early memories are laying underneath that piano and looking up at that, you know, the 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 big I don't know iron whatever it is the uh, soundboard and and the, all the workings and the the printing on it and and the, it was all this cast iron work and I would lay under the, the when she would be playing the piano. Um, now, did you uh, get asked to take lessons? Um, she taught each one of us in turn for a while, and uh, none of us really stuck with it, but. Um, it did between that and the music that would just be played in the house. They had a lot of other records, classical and, um, you know, soundtracks and uh, musicals and things like that. Um, it led me to want to be involved in music. And then, of course, in the early 60s and with between the Beatles and the Beach Boys and the Ventures and stuff, then I wanted to, uh, I got a, I took guitar lessons and then, um, switch to bass when we needed a bass player in the neighborhood bands that sprung up. Uh, what was the first record you bought with your own money? Hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I think it was the Wonderful World of the Brothers Grimm, which was a a box. It was a, it was one LP in a box and it opened up and it had a book in it. And that wonderful world of the Brothers Grimm had come out and it was in Cinerama. It was that Cinemascope movie. And um, so I think in terms of it being my own money, it might have been that I had a check from my grandmother or something. Um, so there was that. But probably things that would be more um, representative of me finding myself, it could have been um, – Meet the Beatles or a Ventures record. I, I, I can't remember. You know, I asked that uh, question because you don't got a lot of money when you're a kid. So, you know, how are you going to spend it? What was the first gig you went and saw? The, uh, well, the first one that I saw on my own, and I, I can actually tell you this as well. I've got a list of every musical event I've been to since 1968. Um, and the very first one on it is the Strawberry Alarm Clock at the Warner Theater. It was the Times News, which was the newspaper Times News variety show that was sort of like a, an Ed Sullivan thing where there was something for the whole family. I remember Lana Cantrell was in it, but I was there because of Strawberry Alarm Clock. Um, it was at the fancy theater downtown. Yeah. Our, we have a Warner Theater here in Pedro and uh, it was put in right before the Depression. So they got the boiler, uh, but they didn't put in the organ. And, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, we had the organ that would come rise up from the floor. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Me and D. Boone saw The Exorcist and the week it came out and some guy in the in the intermission the lobby was had a epileptic seizure. We never seen that before. He was laying on the ground shaking. And, and after that movie, you, you know, never seen a little girl cuss like that. Wow. And, uh, yeah, that was <laughs> That's so a big you awakening. Brought it, you brought it all back just saying Warner Theater. Okay. Yeah. What about school? Were you in the 
choir or the marching band or shit like that? No, but um, I think when I was in fifth grade, um, they they give you some sort of musical aptitude test of some sort to see, you know, what your ear is like or something. And so I scored high and I think they, you know, said you could play violin or something, but I wasn't interested. So I took cello and was in the school orchestra for that one year. But I didn't I only did it as a deal where I could then take guitar lessons after that. Um, not with the school, the deal was with my parents. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's why I asked kind of about the piano thing because some people have such a bad experience they almost get turned off of music. From I think it has to do with the teacher, but since the teacher was, was your ma, yeah, and it was it was pretty loose. Like if we yeah. wanted it, 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 if we wanted it, it was there. They did, um, you know, instill a sort of uh, a. a, a a breadth of, of culture for us. There was the Erie Philharmonic was, uh, you know, the, the symphony and they would get seasons tickets. And I don't remember my siblings who I, but I remember them taking me and I'd have to put on some uncomfortable, you know, Robert Hall, um, <laughs> sport coat or something. And I'd fall asleep. And so I wasn't, um, I didn't, wasn't appreciative of it. It wasn't what I wanted to do, but, um, there were other things I had to do that that's just what you do. But, um, <laughs> But it, it, I think it put me in good stead. Well, in, what in about the, the thing with your buddies, people your age, after school, the the bedroom band, the basement band, the garage band? Did you do that? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I started being in bands. I, I bought a uh, uh, I bought a, a bass guitar in June of 67 with money that I got as gifts from my bar mitzvah. Um, and I bought a Hagstrom uh, bass guitar and um, then started having a band with a couple people I knew. And then I started getting into a band with in a neighborhood where they, the other guys were a couple years older than me and they needed a bass player. And um, and I went through a couple years of that. And then I, st- I started getting in bands that were further afield that were a little bit more. Um, it, we already knew how to do some stuff. So we got a little bit more um, adventurous, even though still you know, covering a wider range of stuff, maybe somebody even writing a song. Um, and then by the time I was in a junior in high school, um, I got in a band with these guys who were like six years older than me and out of college and working regularly playing uh, bars and fraternities and ski lodges and stuff. And they were you know, it was a cover band. They played a lot of stuff like by, uh, I don't know, country rock stuff. I don't know, um, the band and Poco and, and Neil Young and stuff like that. Um and, you know, we do three sets a night. And so I, I got into this thing where I was actually making money and stuff uh, in this band and learned about the, the working side of a band and uh, did that for a couple of years. And then those guys all went on, got regular jobs, not in music. And uh, I eventually then, you know, left Erie. And I, I wasn't in bands then through a lot of the 70s. I moved to uh, first to Philadelphia, then to, to Boston and went to art school after a couple of years in Boston and by the end of the 70s, um, I really had a hankering to be in a band again. It had been about six years or something. And um, I, I had seen a band um, that I really liked. And I thought, I want to do that again. And uh, looked in the the, uh, the weekly arts paper, the Boston Phoenix. And there was an ad looking for a bass player to play uh, sort of a one-off concert of the music of Captain Beefheart. And I, I was like, what? It, it was, I, I was shocked and amazed that I happened to see it. And so um, that became this rather enormous project 
that got some attention in Boston and, um, you know, it ended up being so much work. We played it out about five times. There were about eight people in it. We had a, a marimba player, two trap sets when it was needed, a couple different singers. And from that, then when we then dropped the repertoire to, to be a band on our own, um, we coalesced as a quartet and spent another year then sort of figuring out who we were um, since we already had good working habits and um, were used to getting together. So that, and that, that band was Men and Volts. And we had, we had like five albums out over the course of the uh, 80s and then another three. There, there's like eight albums out there, including one that just came out a couple of years ago that uh, uh, Byron Coley put out on his um, Feeding Tube label, uh, put out a, recordings of us playing the Beefheart stuff in 79, something that back at the time I had no interest in us um, putting anything like that out. It was a limiting thing. You, you, you were, we were in the shadow of it already by having kept the same name when we did those concerts to when we became this band that really didn't sound like Beefheart at all. Um, but now with 40 years gone by, it was kind of fun that he uh, wanted to do that. So. Byron's old friend of mine. I want to play listening to you like it. I haven't been out at all. I have been so careful. The other day I went out for the first time and I went to a pediatrician to get a flu sniffer and then I went to the dentist to get a cleaning. Now I'm home and at my desk, and I have this cup of decaffeinated coffee. I drink decaffeinated coffee because I don't like it. I'm a glutton. If you put something in front of me, I will eat or drink all of it as quickly as I can. That's one of the reasons why I chose early to not do drugs or drink, because I knew that I would have to do the most drugs that anyone had ever done, and I knew I'd be competing with... Uh, was it who did that album, or... Skip Spence. I knew I'd be competing with Skip Spence on the drugs and with Dudley Moore on the liquor, so I knew I'd have no chance. Coffee's hot and bitter, and I can't just gulp it down. So a cup of coffee stays in front of me for a reasonable amount of time. One thing that's kind of changed in our culture. If someone I liked came out with an album I didn't like, I'd listen to it until I liked it. Nashville Skyline came out, and I didn't care that I didn't like it. It was a Dylan album, so you play it until you like it. That's what you do. And David Bowie came out with Low. I thought, what's this mess? I listened to it 50 times. I loved it. You had that cut you didn't like on a record, but who's going to get up and move the needle? 
You listen. You grow to like it. I don't do that anymore with anyone but Dylan, I guess. But I do it with books.
mentioning that you want your wife to be empowered with a gun and you want to be empowered, you want to be ready for people like me that come at you, let me tell you, there's not enough guns, there's not enough bullets, there's not enough bombs to keep people like me down when we watch our children caught in the same morass generation after generation after generation. We have nothing to lose, and that makes us dangerous. Why do you say the word we, Joe? Because there's just people like us across the country who have no hope. We've been kept down for generations. And, Joe, you're going out and sticking guns in people's faces? Not yet, but I'm that close. To taking someone's life? Hey, you know, you have and I don't. And I am just so sick of this, this culture where people get the rich get richer and the poor get poor, the middle class get eliminated, and I don't think I have any hope. I don't have any hope. I don't have any voice. Nothing I say, nothing I do matters. And people like you have. And when I look at you, I think, hey, what have I got to lose? Sapore! 
We're getting along absolutely fine. We're really well. We're old now, and we sort of live in lockdown anyway. We're like two moles in a hole. Plus, we've got a garden, and Alfie is baking bread and making all sorts of fabulous meals. And we're probably eating more than we normally do. Alfie is battling it out on Twitter with friends and enemies, and I'm looking up things on YouTube, searching for people we're supposed to hate to find something nice about them. We're watching the world go by. I saw a cartoon that had a man saying to a dog, "Now I know why you sit and stare out the window." Physically, we're having difficulties as old people do. I'm tired. I am tired, and I wouldn't want to go on forever. The lovely thing about being human is we've got memory, and it's a wonderful thing. For Pedro show, yeah, that was David Greenberger and Tyson Rogers with "Listen Till You Like It," which is a good philosophy. His yeah, name is Alive, brand new. Uh, keep the moon on time. By the way, look at the sky tonight, people, because it looks like Jupiter and Saturn are going to be kissing. Now they're millions yeah, of miles away from each other. It's called a conjunction. Yeah, they're lining up. So it's a. Uh, Appearance. Optical. Yeah. Optical illusion. Yeah. Delusion. (laughs) Then we had uh, Baby Gherkin and Bomas Prendon with a giant electromagnet. Uh, Devin Hoff, we in some strange powers employ. Uh, Stand up baseman. What do you call that? Arco with the bow. Mm -hmm. Mr. Paul Chambers was great at that. Struggle with Wait a Second Joe, Argo, out of uh, Barcelona with uh, Demo, Gio Del Rio, Aruba Avua, <laughs> excuse me for fucking up uh, your language, people, I don't do it on purpose, <laughs> but uh, Agula de Tesser Fantasmas, uh, Red Mass out of Canada with FYI, I am a dying city. For your information, is my guess. A little acronym there. And then finally, Dave Greenberger with uh, Tyson Rogers. The lovely thing about being human. And you want to say something about, about this collab you got with uh, Tyson? Uh, yeah, well, uh, we, we, over the course of this year, starting in uh, May, I guess we started working on it, decided to do this project. Uh, all of my work or that I'm mostly known for are these monologues based on my conversations a lot of times with with elderly, although that's sort of expanded as well. So we decided while everybody is sort of at home and, and relatively isolated, that we would develop a whole s- series of pieces, short pieces, with the text based on my conversations with friends and, and, uh, and relatives. And um, it ended up being 151 pieces. The whole thing is called Everybody's Home. It's on Bandcamp. Um, 
uh, under uh, my name and Tyson's name. Um, and it, it, it's really long, but um, I don't know who would ever, if, you can listen to it in order um, and, it, and there's a flow to it, but it, with 151 pieces, um, you can jump in and out of it and there's little covers for each one, little images. And um, But uh, so we've heard a couple things from it now. Um, there were there, um, uh, what was just in there? So the, the lovely thing about being human and at the start of that, um, take me backwards. What was that? That was listen, uh, listen till you like it. Oh, that's it. Okay, actually, and then at the in the earlier there was fruit tree, which is uh, that was based on a conversation with Evan Lipson. But listen until you like it was based on a give, conversation. Uh, we got to give Evan Lipson uh, credit here for making the connect. Thank you, Evan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, he's a part of ensembles of mine. We'll probably we'll be getting to that. Um, but that was him talking about uh, what's going on with him. And then Listen Until You Like It was a conversation that I had with Penn Gillette of uh, Penn and & Teller. And um, that was a really, um, it was a good one to put together because I wanted it to become something that you would have to really listen to. Um, I like what he had to say about that. And then so between the three of these, you get a really uh, a, a glimpse of the, the breadth, both of the thematic and emotional elements and sonically what it's all like the the lovely thing about being human was from a conversation with robert wyatt drummer man and, you know uh, yeah can i ask you if you have any influence from joe frank are you aware of this guy uh, i i know of his stuff i've never um okay I, you know i've heard it well he yeah. passed away a couple of years ago but he, yeah he, he would yeah he would uh you know spiel mainly he would just have people like run with it. And then after the fact, uh, put these things kind of mind movies, collages. Yeah, I, I know. I've, I've heard some, um, some time ago. Yeah. Uh, he, he had done that for quite a while yeah, too. Yeah. Um, he had some, uh, malady where he had to take medicine every few hours or he'd puke his brains out. Oh man. Yeah. So, you know, and part of his art, his expression was dealing with that. It was like kind of a therapy or something like this. Anyway, I, I, your music is very singular to you, but I did think of Joe Frank a little bit, so that's why I asked you. Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, he, from the, the things of it that I heard, he, he created a real... There was a sense of it being some place yeah. that was that was that wasn't a physical space, but it existed in a rich way in your in your in your mind. But it was more than just um, talking with music floated in. It really felt like the two things together were meant to add up to one sort of resonant whole, which is the thing that I'm always after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. Well, tell me. What was the first time, I mean, obviously when you were with the eerie uh, copy band, you know, doing songs off people's records, then you leave music, you get back in, you do a, tri a Cat and Beefheart tribute, but that's really uh, different than what you, you know, what your main forte is. How did you develop, what was the first time you got into that stuff? Into what I'm doing now, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, with with the the um, well, a lot of it came out of... Um, after I was out of art school, I um, had had an experience. I um, 
drove cross country by myself. Actually, I did that a couple times. It's an incredible thing to do. You may have done it. Um, if you the call the tour, solitude of it is <laughs> if you call very, a tour, very rich. If you call a tour more uh, than a month, I've done 67 yeah. of them. <laughs> yeah. But, but, uh, I, but I got to stop you here, David, because we got to continue because we're at the end of the first hour, December 21, 2020 edition of Peter Show special guest, David Greenberger. Hold tight for hour two. December 21, 2020, it's the second hour of the Lot from Pedro show. I used to go drinking, I guess, or something like that. They'll knock me out of you, right out of the picture, all right. For Christ's sake, knock me right out. I used to dance, but I ain't showered yet or nothing. I don't do much now by the looks of it, is that right? I won't go any places now by the looks of it, know it? Stick me in there and go home. I used to go dancing and staying out all night, but won't do it anymore by the looks of it. Can't go anywhere on account of it's lunchtime. Dirty trick got me licked. They all eat lunch and got me licked. Dirty trick got me licked. Can't go dancing. I'm knocked out now, right? No shower. I can't go no place. I won't go nowheres. Jeez, I'm licked now. Why do they do that? Got me licked now. Dirty trick to knock a man out like that, ain't that right? Where the hell am I gonna go sporting? I'm knocked out, you know it? Knocked out. They all go home, leave me here. Don't do me no good. Got me knocked out.
There's an interesting problem in statistics that I engage myself in. It's just the behavior of random numbers. I come from Nigeria originally. I came to California to go to college. I studied engineering. It's a long story. Many a slip between the cup and the lip. There are many ways to slip, right? See what you can learn from old people? Many a slip between the cup and the lip. You know... Sometimes, you know, as they say, how can I put it delicately, shit happens. But I don't roll with it. Rolling with it means you accept it. You try to live the best you can. Ultimately, you see, my own belief in Christianity is that we all have to give an account to God. Some things are beyond your control. But as I said, you asked me what I was doing, and I said I was doing something in statistics. And the ultimate end is to show the glory of God, even in the abyss, literally and metaphorically, the abyss. Whether it's secular or sacred, a lot of people know what I have been through. Even the secular ones say, you can survive this only because you are blessed with high intelligence, very high intelligence. And the people who are taught in the sacred sense, they say you can survive only because God put a hedge around you doesn't surprise me what I've come through, not so much. It's just sometimes you go through things and usually there is a fortune of facts. They say it was this, it was that. No, no, no. It's just a fortune of facts. Dumb luck. I could not give up. That is left to God. This is what I do. I'm satisfied with what I'm doing. Every day I have to adjust to see how to truly behave, how I want the numbers to behave, and me. We are inseparable, you know. Those that God has joined together, let no man part asunder. It's wedded bliss between myself and the numbers. You say numbers can sometimes confound us, but I wouldn't blame that on the numbers. Figures don't lie, but liars do figure. These secrets will die with me. Everybody shares the fruits of their labor with their offspring. But the world is not my offspring. These old papers, some of them are just held together with sellotape. I'm the only one who knows what it's all about, what the numbers mean. It's my intellectual property. After I'm gone, maybe someday someone will say, Ah, that Sam, there was method to his madness. But the madness is not the secret. I'm working for myself. You go on the internet and see Coca-Cola. Do you see how they make that? No. This is my intellectual property. It's benefiting me because it's keeping my mind young. Fortunately or unfortunately, it's 
turned out to be my life's work. That's what it's turned out to be.
How are you going to put our stories together with music? Are you coming back next year to show us? One time, I got into mischief. Before they built this new place, we were in the trailer, and that place was so small, I accidentally broke the door. I broke it so good, some metal came off the wall. I broke it with my chair. And I fell in the pool in the chair, in my wheelchair. I got too close to the pool, and I went over the edge. I flipped over, and I went in the pool in the chair. They had to get me out, and they had to get me a new chair. Waffle Pedro Show, we start off the second hour with Knocked Out, David Greenberger, Prime Lance, Mr. Evan Lipson, member of, uh, Sam Bennett from Tokyo with I'm Waiting for the Man, Quiet Pig, Italy, UZ of Bekistan, Trigger Cut with Free Hugs, The Behavior of Ramden Numbers, David Greenberger and Prime Lance, WSR, I think Berlin, but he's Italiano. How to spell your name. Uh, and finally, the mischief chair, David Greenberger and Prime Lance. So your trip across the country. Exactly. Um, I was, uh, my, my grandmother, who lived in Chicago, which is where I was born, had a, would spend the winters in Palm Springs. And uh, she seemed old to me at the time, but you know, by the time she was maybe 70. and But she had an older sister in her 80s. And they had a place out there and they, they would fly, but she would then get one of the grandchildren to drive her Oldsmobile from Chicago to Palm Springs or the, in reverse at the other end of the season. So it was on one of those trips um, that, that I was the one, the beneficiary of that. She would set you up with a pocket full of cash and you'd have a few days to just drive it back to Chicago. And part of the deal was you'd spend a couple of days there in Palm Springs with, with her visiting. And on this trip when I was out there I believe this was maybe in 1977 um, I met these friends of hers Herb and Hannah Feitler who I think she had grown up with and they lived out there year-round but Herb Feitler and I spent some time together like driving around um, going to flea markets I don't know we bought fish for dinner stuff like that and then after I got home I stayed in touch with him and I was pondering what was so um, unique but uh, important to me about knowing this guy, Herb. And I realized it was the first time that I met and befriended somebody who was a couple generations older than me who wasn't in my family. So there were none of the uh, limitations that come with the familial dynamic. Uh, for example, like I was in art school, my grandmother and this is a useful thing. It was probably worries like you're going to art school. You're going to be OK. So she'd say, oh, how's that going? But he would say, oh, what do you what do you paint? So he he and I were talking just like any two people who would meet and look for common ground for a conversation. There was no um, no baggage. There was nothing from before there. And I thought that it was really amazing. And I was realizing how 
rare that was culturally, that most of us are exposed to aging and, and also decline through the, the, the family um, orbit. And it seemed like there was something to be gained by stepping outside of it and meeting people as they were right then. Like, I never knew her before. So maybe he used to like ride a motorcycle and he couldn't do it anymore. So however he was, I just accepted because I didn't know him before. I was not in, in any way involved in mourning the loss of who he used to be. And um, so I, I was really taken with that whole idea. And I thought, I want to I want a further experience with this. And having just finished art school and needing to figure out some way to have a job that wasn't, you know, delivering flowers or scooping ice cream or something. Um, I um, heard about a job at a nursing home. Uh, somebody else who'd gone to the same art school I went to was working there and was leaving. So I got this job as an activities director at this nursing home in Jamaica Plain, part of Boston. And um, as soon as I set foot in that world, this was 1979, I was completely taken with the way in which bits of overheard conversation and things um, taken out of the air that people said um, that were not at all oral history, they were just now, um, took on a resonance and a power when I wrote them down, which was something I'd already been doing from the time I was uh, in high school. I was always writing down quotes and things people said. So, um, so I started this little publication called The Duplex Planet uh, because the name of the nursing home was uh, The Duplex Nursing Home. It was an old uh, converted duplex house and within the first year it, it found a kind of cult kind of audience an underground hipster audience and uh, because i was not aiming it within the social uh workers world at all it was really into the arts world and uh, my inspiration for it actually was more artists books than zines or anything like that so that started and it had a subscription base and it was you know, it was like hip, cool thing. And I, it came out every month. Um, I'd get them printed and, um, and people would get to know these, these guys who lived at the nursing home. It was an all male nursing home, an old converted house. that's long gone. Um, over time that became by, by the early nineties, um, there was a couple book collections that came out that got me, you know, further afield onto you know, TV shows and in Vanity Fair and stuff. Um, and then it was adapted into a comic book series from Fantagraphics. And around that same time, I started doing, uh, I would do readings and talks about this, but more and more it became uh, the readings part of it developed into something with music. Um, a, a label had asked me about doing a spoken word recording. And so I, the first one I did was with uh, Terry Adams from uh, NRBQ, it was Terry and uh, Tyrone Hill from the Sun Ra Orchestra and uh, John Sebastian's on it. And um, that was the Duplex Planet Hour. And that was my first sort of attempt at wondering how do I um, approach this idea of telling some of this as first person narratives um, with, with music. And uh, ultimately, I, I, I looked for different ways to really combine the music in it more fully. Um, over the course of the 90s, I've worked with a couple different um, ensembles and um, really wanted to make something that was not at all, you know, like an NPR, we're fading the music in thing. I didn't want people to, I wanted people to really hear it 
the way they would hear a song. Um, and uh, so I, I, over the, the next like 20 plus years, I did a lot of projects and had a lot of CDs out. A lot of times they'd be artist residencies and commission things for different museums and uh, universities. And, uh, and, uh, and I, a lot of times work with musicians in that city and, um, you know, became pretty uh, versed in how to do that and how to, you know, how to have things turn out. Uh, both the way I wanted, but also in ways that would surprise me. And, uh, <laughs> and that led me to to right here and going on and on about it like this. What <laughs> from Peter. Look, I want to play um, A King in Milwaukee, part one. Look at me. I'm a king. I have a red shirt. I live in Milwaukee. I drink beer in Milwaukee, too. In heaven, there is no beer. The angels drinking all the beer. We can always drink beer. And men, too. Men like the Three Stooges. They're crazy. One guy was smoking in bed, and he made the bed go on fire. That one guy is dead that plays the Three Stooges. Curly and Moe. And Larry. Larry, too. Larry has the curly hair. I've got hair like Elvis Presley. Hair tonic. Then I've got sideburns like Elvis Presley, too. The lady barber gave me a haircut. Look at me, I'm a king, I have a red shirt, I live in Milwaukee. I play drums, I play with a band, I played with Terry James. He was in Milwaukee. We played cherry picking apple blossom time. I played drums, I drummed solo, I hit a hi-hat. And I had a bow tie. We'd wear suits, tuxedos, and the guy plays with the baton. He had me hit the cymbals, then he clapped his hands. I dropped the sticks to be funny. I hit the cymbal, then he picked up the sticks. He says, are you nervous? I said, no. He was real comical. We played at Carnegie Hall. We rode a bus. There was a chauffeur. Look at me, I'm a king. I have a red shirt. I live in Milwaukee. I'm a king, I have a red shirt, I live in Milwaukee.
I kept telling people, you've got to do one dumb thing every day so you can laugh at yourself. I haven't done mine yet today. I'm working on it. It's just some stupid little thing, you know. You have an appointment for a certain time and you get the date or the time mixed up or something like that. It doesn't take much. Now you're cooking something and you forget to put in a vital ingredient. Like in a cake, you know. You forget to put the baking powder in and, well, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to be a cake. You just need one dumb thing. One dumb thing.
I got 86 hours of sleep since last Friday. 56 hours of sleep is a good amount of sleep for a week. And I had 30 extra hours of sleep. And I have another business. I'm starting to sell cigarettes to my friends. from Pedro's show. Yeah, we started that chunk of music off with a king in Milwaukee, part one. You didn't give me part two, so I don't know how it turns out, David. But that's well, David did. Greenberger and Paul Sabar, Tomorrow Sound. Yeah, uh, that that was uh, oh, the, um, the thing with that one. Part one, I just gave it because it seemed like one of those singles that you'd flip over and you'd have part yeah, two, right, even though right, there's no... Right. It was on an album. Because I wanted... I've, in some of the pieces that I've done, I've really wanted it to make it seem like it could be catchy, even though I'm talking. Like, how do you make talking catchy? And so I've had a number of different um, versions of doing that with different different people, and that was part of a big project I did in uh, Milwaukee in 2008-9, where I spent three months in Milwaukee talking to people with memory loss. You know, you know who was from Milwaukee? Liberace. Wow. You didn't know that. No, I did not. Yeah, yeah, There's crazy. a bunch of people from there. Like, oh, yeah, be like yeah. It's only, Peter Stample. it's only 100 miles from Chicago. Yeah. And, uh, okay, I got to tell the people what else they heard. Immer with First Night, uh, D.C. area. Iom, Biggerin, Zort. <laughs> Here I am fucking up language again. Zortziko, Jay Walker from Ichio. One Dumb Thing, David Greenberger and Paul Sabar, Tomorrow Sound. Strange Surf Model from the Plutonium Farmers. Uh, Jerome Parker-Wells out of St. Louis with Ancestral Leaps. And finally, Happy Jack. David Greenberg, Glenn Jones, and Chris Corsano. Yeah, so uh, of those Corsano, things that you mentioned, then the one dumb thing was also with uh, Paul Sebar Tomorrow Sound, and that was done as a project for the Kohler Museum in uh, Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Um, and I was really pleased that the... Uh, French horn on that was uh, Vincent Chancy. I don't know if you know know him, but uh, the only he was French in, horn like, player I knew. He, I, the only French I mean, horn player I know of was John Antwistle. Oh yeah, he well uh, Chancy was in uh, Lester Bowie's uh, Brass Fantasy, and he was in the orchestra for a while. And, uh, okay, so he's on that. And then there's uh, actually I a, know, you might a, know Chris Corsano though. Yeah, I, I said his name when I. Uh, he's an yeah, incredible you, drummer man, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I figured you would have crossed paths with him. But uh, John Antwistle actually does a French horn solo in the middle middle of pictures of Lily. Oh, yeah, I know. I love that. I love that there's French horn in that song, too. It's, it's a brilliant turn. You know, we're at the end of the second hour, December 21, 2020 edition. Off the Show special guest, David Greenberger. Hold tight for hour three. December 21, 2020, it's the third hour. What for Pedro show?
After I had my stroke, I dreamed that I was an FBI agent, and they called me Big Al. This guy that was having these monkeys shipped in from South America, and he was using them to transport dope he was peddling. And what happened was, the FBI found out about it, so we raided the place. It was in this big warehouse, and it had this chicken wire going all the way up, and they took the monkeys out of the cages and just turned them loose in there. So what happened, there was a bunch of us FBI agents like me, about three other ones. And what they did was they said, Big Al, will you get up there and get them monkeys down? So I climbed up there on the wiring, and I'd catch the monkey and toss him down to them. You know how monkeys screech and claw at you and try to bite you, you know. Anyway, I tried grabbing them, and they'd bite me on the hand. So I'd grab them and just toss them down quick to the other agents. And those monkeys would be all over them guys. They'd have to try to get the harness off them so they could get the dope off them. That's what they had, was little harnesses where they tied the dope on them. But when they caught the monkeys... The monkeys started biting them and screeching like mad. So they yelled at me. They says, God damn you, Big Al. Quit throwing the monkeys at us. I said, what am I supposed to do? They're biting me up on this end. I said, if you'd like to switch, you climb up here and I'll go down there. Because they had leather gloves on, you know. I didn't have nothing and I'd have to catch them. And I had to hang on to the chicken wire at the same time, too. Anyway, we confiscated about $100,000, $200,000 worth of dope that way. That was just a dream, though. But it was like it was truly happening. I was in law enforcement, but not an FBI agent. I worked in Billings in the Billings Police Force for a while as just a trainee. Mostly what I'd done there was directing traffic. When they had airplane shows, I'd be directing traffic and other stuff up there. But my wife could tell you more about the monkeys. I told her about the dream after I had it, and I might be leaving something out because, you know, I'm forgetful since the stroke.
hot tar And uh, you have to wear gloves to push it flat And when it happens, you have to let it cool down And then the record can be played on, on both sides And it's that cooling off process that makes a good record You can play a lot of tunes on it So when the cars were going faster all the time, there was less of the gasoline that goes into making hot tar, and it made the price for a record go sky high. This was because more people wanted gasoline for their cars than wanted it for their records. The public wouldn't take it no more. I mean, they didn't want to pay those sky high prices. People said, stop, give me the tape instead. Comme l'espérance est violente, viens la nuit sans 
to tell you the truth, Dave, what I enjoy, the best kind of sandwich, would be a turkey sandwich. But truthfully speaking to you, Dave, or Walter, or anyone I meet any hour of the day, I never complain and I'm friendly with everyone. And another thing I'll tell you, if a fresh one or an uneducated one would bother me, I'd just haul off and let them have it. And another thing, I like everybody, but if a fresh guy approaches me, well, I just haul off and let them have it. And another thing, I like everyone, and I like all religions and all churchgoers, but if anyone gets fresh with me, I just haul off and let them have it. And another thing, I'm kind to everybody, and I speak to everyone, but if an uneducated one or a freshie would bother me, I'd just haul off and let them have it. And another thing. I'm kind to everyone, and I'm willing to help everyone I can. And if I can't help him on what they're asking for, I politely tell him, I'm sorry, I can't help you on the matter.
synthesizer part i thought oh i'm calling it montana vice as a reference to miami vice though nobody would have to get that but but you know who who made up that music that was jan hammer yeah i know and i saw him with the mahavishnu orchestra people we start off the third hour with montana vice david giving you a little insight there uh david greenberger and the shaken reeling guys another umbrella with infinity david greenberger and bird songs of mazok i think roger miller right Great he wasn't that, but uh, he was only in the first album that they did. Oh, they okay. continued on for a long time, so he wasn't in it by then. Okay. Uh, by the time, yeah. I think he's living up in uh, Vermont. Um, I think he is. Yeah, Southern Vermont. He's just yeah. above the top of Massachusetts. I saw him a couple years ago at an event we were both at. Yeah, he's. He, I've always loved his stuff. He, you know, he's from Ann Arbor. 
and he, he, yeah. he, he was a bass man in like a prog band in the 70s and he gave me that I played it on the show uh, Simon Waldem Into the Blue Repri- Reprise New March Violets uh, Reprise, that was Frank Sinatra's label it was uh, Yeah, um, New March Violets, Dynamite for Partisans uh, Nor Tur- Tur- Turquoise from Double Dutch Picnic David Greenberger and Bangalore with Sandwich. Hi, Maya. Is this the moment? Anti-matter does matter. And finally, Eggs from the Palthone Scooters. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's my bad writing. It's the Paul Tone Scooters, which was a name I just made up um, <laughs> at way after the fact. But that actually, that's another example of trying to make something that's like a little pop song. Um, and that was done... Uh, recorded, um, I guess that's Anna, uh, it's in Michigan, it's outside of Detroit, in Wyandotte, it's uh, Frank Paul, and uh, it was one of the first things I really started exploring how to really get the music in with the stuff rather than as a theme before it and after it, and so I had done that, and then some years later I thought I want to put the, all that stuff out, and so I came up with a band name, the Paul Tone Scooters, I just because it's got Frank's name and as the band leader of the, so it sounds um, sort of uh, wobbly important, uh, the, the band name. <laughs> well, band names are kind of important, right? Yeah, well, it's funny, but then once they're there, they simply exist and we don't question them anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, we, they, they lose, at, uh, when you have a hard time deciding on one, but then once it's there, nobody questions it. Really, unless it's a really lame, you know, like turd purse. Yeah, there's some that just like <laughs> really you know, like it's a beautiful day. Remember that band? Yeah. It's like really yeah. that's couldn't you? That's go back to your room and work on that one a little bit longer. Nobody can even shorten that. What do you call them? It's. <laughs> yeah, I want to play the the arguing gardener. I'm an avid gardener, and I give it all away. I'm a born farmer. I was raised a farmer, and you don't get that out of your system. I was out of gardening for a while. I was supposed to take it easy. But this year, I decided I was going to argue with somebody. So I got a small patch going. Fresh stuff. And I don't mind arguing if I have to, if that's what it takes to get it done. It's worth it. Believe me, you can't just stop gardening when you were born on a farm.
I raised three daughters on Long Island. They all moved up here with their families, so we moved up here too. I was 60 when I retired. I'm 93 now. My wife passed away six years before me. I mean, before my age now. I'm 93. She passed away at 86. That was two years younger than me. So that was about four years ago. We grew up together. The reason I'm here, I was living by myself and taking care of myself, but I fell down and they took me to Saratoga Hospital. No broken bones, but then they found I had low salt and all that, so I ended up here. My daughters all wanted me to live at home too, but I had that accident, the fall. I was doing good here, I joined all the clubs, then I took a turn for the worse. I'm 93, and let me tell you something. I don't have a death wish. I'm not suicidal, but I wouldn't care if I went tomorrow. I've had a full life completely. Three daughters, ten grandchildren, eight great-grandchildren. They're all living up here, and they all come and see me. So that's it. I filled you in.
vampire, it's a bat. They're in a cave. It's a rat. That's all it is. You go in a cave, you'll see things flying around. They call them bats. They're very dangerous. A vampire is something that Hollywood created. And that one guy, Bela Lugosi, he was the best. He even looked like him. They brought that man out of nowhere. I forget what year, back in the 20s. No, 30s. first, and then the Batman, no, the werewolf and Frankenstein, and, and then the Batman, Christ, I've seen all them pictures. Uh, here, uh, I'll tell you right now, David, people, last music for this episode, The Arguing Gardener from David Greenberger and the Hi-Ho Barbers, uh, University Challenges, my buddy AJ and Holland with uh, Reverse Swing, his new proj, University Challenged. Uh, David Greenberger and the Huckleberries with Took a Turn. The Hysterical Injury with Rosetta Waves. There's a good name, The Hysterical Injury. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some, some are terrible, some are good. Yeah, it's trippy about names. Uh, Waku Waku Kingdom after that with Gagagoo. Um, and then finally, Hollywood's Vampire, David Greenberger and the Waldemere Players. So all three of these tunes uh, that we just played are yet to come out. So people, you're getting your uh, early listens. All right. The Arguing Gardeners with uh, the Hi-Ho Barbers is uh, myself, uh, Mark Greenberg, who runs the, uh, the – he was in the band The Cocktails and runs the Wilco Loft where we recorded it. And uh, uh, Kelly Hogan and Paul Sebar on vocals. Uh, but it's uh, Robin and, I, and Mark and I are the main trio. And then the, um, the Huckleberries, uh, that's a piece that was done for a – it's now delayed because of everything going on this year. Um, there was a new performing arts venue that opened um, in the area, uh, a big $20 million renovation of a cathedral. Um, and so they commissioned a piece – um, and I put together an ensemble with musicians from the Saratoga Springs area and we recorded what will be a, a double album and, uh, but everything's uh, on hold for about a year. So, and then the Waldemere players was, uh, a, a bunch of, uh, sort of New York, uh, downtown players who had invited me down to like do some stuff and record with them. And we worked on it over a period of years. It was Michael Evans and Jeff Arnold, who were a, a drumming duo at the time. And then um, then we brought in uh, uh, Sam Kulik, became a key player. And, and a, uh, on that one has a piano player named Gordon Bieferman. Really interesting things. Uh, Kelly's been on the show. Great singer. Yeah, yeah. She was When she heard that we were doing this um, and with Robin, she said, I want to I sing. So then the idea that I had was, I wanted to be a trio, bass, drums, and and, uh, and guitar, and I, I played bass on it. And then, but I want to have background vocalists on everything. I, I just let them sing all the time, whether it's words or oohs and ahs. And so she and Paul, 
became that backup, uh, that ba- background, uh, well, not even background, the chorus vocal singers. So sure, we became sure. a quintet. Uh, where can people find you on the internet, David? Um, at davidgreenberger.com. Okay. Got that people, D-A-V-I-D-G-R-E-E-N-B-E-R-G-E-R.com. And he's got links to all this stuff and incredible uh, body of work and a lot ahead of you, man. You've got uh, big plans, right? Uh, I love it. I love this because there's so many excuses people can make for, you know, doing nothing. And you're a hard charger with music. <laughs> I love it. Well, just by the, I'm either doing these or, the, you know, I'm a visual artist, so I'm either doing these or drawing. And I mean, I've gotten more done by us, you know, just staying at home. Um, for the last ten months than than ever, uh, I, I'm I like I like working. I like doing stuff. I like making something where there was nothing there before. It, you know, it's but then once it's done, it's like well that's done. Now I got to do something else. So it's that need for a constant rush of doing another thing. Sure, you know? sure, yeah. It's like when uh, Rashid Ali was talking about John Colt. Why did he practice so much? He was already so good. But I don't think that was the point. He'd probably work something out, and that would lead to other possibilities, abilities, and he'd have to chase them down, and you know, it was like peeling an onion. Right. I think. I mean, from I think it's that exactly. And I, I feel like I, I do a lot of stuff, you know, in quantity. There'll be, a, I mean, a, like the thing that with with Tyson, there's 151 pieces on there, or the drawings that I do. There's, I'll do things like the, specifically with the drawings. I'll I'll do a whole series of them. Uh, until I bore myself into a corner and <laughs> boredom is such a rich and useful thing because it always leads me to some way out where I did something that I wouldn't have done unless I did, you know, it's, it's almost like I said, no, you just got to keep working and, and you just, and I, I find a way to do it and it's like, oh, oh, here's a better way. And so I find a way out of it to keep myself energized and new ideas come from just continuing to work. Um, and even if it seems like you're doing the same thing, once you get bored, you'll you'll find a way out of it if you're you know if you're fo- focused on it. Yeah, yeah, the focused glance because like, <laughs> your you, your works are real small and stuff, but they're really focused, uh, uh, concentrated. Yeah. yeah. So. Oh, and one uh, one other um, location I give people is that if you go to davidgreenberger.bandcamp.com. Yeah, um, that's come. where that. It, it, at the Bandcamp thing at davidgreenberger.bandcamp.com for all the whole Everybody's Home series is all there and can be heard but all you, four hours of it. But you probably got the links to that at your website, right? Um, actually, uh, there's some problems on the website. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because, you know, having your own website is like having your own fanzine. Nobody's in between you and your message. Yeah, and then something wasn't working and it's like, oh. So uh, I'd rather just record another piece with Tyson than focus on, you know. So um, I have to put on the clerical hat, though, and get that done. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, look, real honor to have you on the show. I love what you're doing. And I, when this stuff comes, Thanks. This was, what's that? This was a, this was a pleasure. This, it was a pleasure uh, just uh, going through all this and just starting where there was nothing and we made something. We went somewhere. Yeah, one final thing, though. What about somebody young getting into this music stuff? 
because you've got a big career, a lot of history. What would be advice, maybe? Um, well, I'd say this is true not just for music, but for anything in the arts, because I'm, I've been in a variety of different media. And I, you know, uh, I would say always be aware of the fact that you're doing something that nobody asked you to do. And um, and 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 I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind, because um, if you're not like selling pliers or rope or, like you know, making sandwiches, nobody needed you to do it. Um, and so you can't get um, tired or frustrated or bitter or angry about wherever you get to. Um, sometimes people have their sights set on getting to some higher, a very high point like uh, of success. And there's fewer job openings at that point, but there's a lot of job openings in the middle, you know, for and by job openings, I mean, just getting somewhere. And so, uh, you know, I hear people who are disappointed in having not gotten further when they're not really thinking of it in terms of, well, that space wasn't there. It was already filled by people who were already in it. But I did get, you know, however far you got and find where you can get to and make it work and live there and enjoy your property and in the land and take a stroll and invite people in. And, you know, that's what I'd say. That's great. David. Thank you so much. People. It's been December 21, 2020 edition of off Pedro show. Keep your powder dry.